Welcome to the Gender and Music Gear podcast, where we explore the intersection of gender and the music industry. From an equal representation on festival lineups to the gendered marketing of music gear, we delve into the ways in which gender impacts the music world. We also highlight the voices and experiences of female and non-binary musicians and industry professionals. Join us as we discuss the challenges and progress being made in creating a more inclusive and equitable music scene. Ah, ha, ha. All right, so... (laughs) Let's try that again. Welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender and music year. So (laughs) unless you've been purposefully hiding under a rock recently, you've probably been inundated by AI related content. So two or three weeks ago, it was everyone's Lenza AI generated portraits. Last week, it was ChatGPT, which I used to generate the intro of the podcast today. So I was inspired by a couple of other podcasts, Hard Fork and Today Explained in particular, which did the same, and it really is kind of bonkers. So rather than just reading that AI-generated test, I decided to up the ante, and I used a combination of Logic Pro, and, and generally I use a combination of Logic Pro and another program called Descript for editing. And I'm assuming you're probably familiar with Logic Pro, which is a very popular audio editing software. But Descript, if you're less familiar, takes a transcript from your audio and allows you to edit not just from the waveform, as you would in most audio editing, but also from the text. So, for example, if someone forgets what the question was, I can go and, you know, go to the text, just delete it. And it's like magically gone from the audio, too. And it can help also automatically remove crutch words, uh, most of which I keep, but I do remove ums and ahs, uh, which, you know, mostly successfully, but sometimes I, you know, have to help with cuts and fading and things like that. Anyway, Descript also allows you to train your voice to generate essentially a robot version of yourself. You can feed it text and it will read it in your own voice (laughs) with some practice, right? I never actually really tried it, so I decided to do this with the chat GPT generated text, and that was the intro, which honestly wasn't too bad. (laughs) All I did was type, write an introduction for a podcast about gender and music year. And, you know, the audio could probably work well if you, you know, were feeding it just a word that you misspoke on or something. But as you can see here, it's it's missing a little bit of personality. That's the major issue, right? So I went down a real rabbit hole with ChatGPT last week, and, you know, it is really wild. And if you want to hear more about my experience and research and the implications for gender, music, and music gear, stick around to the end of the episode because I have plenty of thoughts about it. So before we get into our fabulous interview, the last of 2022, I wanted to share a fun thing that's coming up for 2023, and it's something I've been thinking about for a long time, and now it's finally, finally going to happen. It is the very first ever live midriff podcast sponsored by Chase Bliss. And I was already planning to be in Minneapolis to work with them. And I ran the idea past Joel, who was on board, and I've been working with their creative coordinator, Courtney, to get things lined up. And here we are. So if you happen to be in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area on January 15th, the event will be held at Cadence Records and Coffee in St. Paul at 7 p.m. It's limited seating, so if you're interested, keep your eyes peeled on the Midriff Instagram or sign up for my newsletter for updates. 
there will be three guests, electronic artist Sim One, musician and engineer Nat Harvey, and musician and luthier Pamela Laser. Uh, there will be live performances, gear rundowns, a panel discussion, some hot tips and demos, an audience Q&A. I'm very excited, and hopefully there will be more of that to come. Let me know if you'd want to run a live podcast in your town. Um, I'm down. It sounds fun, right? So... Let's talk about today's podcast. So today's guest is Kim Chin Gibbons, who is an amazing musician loosely based out of Western Massachusetts, but generally around South, uh, South Southern, South, Southeastern, I don't know, Southeastern, I guess, uh, New England, who plans in, uh, plays in a prog band called Sunset Mission. And I first learned about Kim through last year's she, she Shreds One Riff a Day Challenge, where she got third place. And she is a real shredder, and I was instantly drawn into her musical abilities and, you know, sort of like tasteful application of tapping and prog sort of more broadly, but, you know, finger style. She's got a lot of different skills. Kim is also a student of episode 11 guest, June Millington. Uh, of the band Fanny, and notably here, June's program at the Institute for Musical Arts. And we'll talk about that and a lot more in the episode. And a quick note, Kim and I originally spoke in May before the podcast break. So thanks to Kim for her patience. And uh, I asked her for an update, and she said um, that they just recently played a, a metal night. So that would have been last night at Hawks and Reed in Greenfield, Massachusetts. They also uh, are going to be showing a handmade, uh, homemade video performance at the Get Down With Your Hometown show for the Institute for Musical Arts, uh, Shafe Theater, and North Star Self-Directed Learning for Teens, a collaborative online music festival, festival for three nonprofits in Western Mass. But before we get into that, let's hear it from some of our episode sponsors. All right. First, we have Earthquaker Devices, who are currently sharing a Bonkers Bananas cool video with the Akron Symphony Orchestra, who I know they support using, um, in this case, they just have like a huge pedal board. It's it, it just sounds so cool. So do yourself a favor. Check that out. Uh, another recent feature is a Show Us Your Junk with Lisa Belladonna, which obviously is amazing. Uh, she's an amazing composer, synth artist, guitarist, you know, just all around fabulous musician. And of course, you should still check out the life pedal, including a full round down by Jamie Stillman himself. So watch all of these videos or check out the life pedal at earthquakerdevices.com. Next, we have Stompbox Sonic. If you listened to last the last episode of the podcast with Jen and Adam, now you know a lot more about what Stompbox Sonic are about. So they provide musicians with an extensive tonal palette for auditory exploration, specializing in effects pedals. They are uh, offer a curated collection of companies, large and small, some locally crafted, some assembled from around the world. Adam and Jen have been helping musicians and sound-based artists find their sound since 2009. By working collaboratively through one-on-one -on -one consultations, they do more than sell you a pedal. They ignite the creative spark that brings your music to life. They create a comfortable, judgment-free environment for all musicians where sonic experimentation is encouraged. Whether you play guitar, bass, trumpet or harp, roads, circuit bends, speak and spell, Stompbox Sonic will work with you to find the right effects to fit your budget. Check out stompboxsonic.com for more. So uh, thanks to all of these awesome sponsors. And we're going to get into the interview in a moment. I do want to do a general shout out to listeners. Thank you so, so much for supporting this podcast. It's another year in the books and really couldn't do it without you. And now to the interview with Kim. Yeah, it's 
welcome to Midriff. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. This is awesome. We're in person. I know. <laughs> I can't believe it. It's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so listeners to the podcast, most of the interviews that I do are usually with people virtually, sometimes even if they're in the same city. And so this is like a nice treat that Kim is here actually in my literal basement with me. <laughs> so, so yeah, so this is great. So Kim, for folks who might not know you, can you introduce yourself, your name, your pronouns, and a little bit about yourself? and your background with music? Yeah, my name is Kim Chin Gibbons, and I use she, her pronouns. And I'm based right now in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, and Amherst, Massachusetts, and kind of <laughs> Central Mass in Worcester. And I play in the eight-piece progressive rock band Sunset Mission. You are all over the place, which I appreciate. <laughs> Can't pin you down. It's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I also like that there's like a commitment. You're like, I will go where the music is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so that's really cool. Like, so how old were you when you started playing? I started singing when I was around four years old. Mm -hmm. And then I picked up a guitar when I was about 10. Got it. Got it. So you... We, we talked earlier, I know that you are 21, so you've been playing for 11 years? Yeah, pretty much. Cool, cool. And did you, when you started playing, or like, I guess, what's your formal training? Okay, around the time when I picked up a guitar, I started taking lessons mm -hmm. with Debbie Freelander down the street from me, mm -hmm. and the recitals would be in the same space where I would dance too. So oh. when I was little, I also kind of wanted to be a dancer and mm -hmm. I also kind of wanted to be a singer. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up playing guitar and then back to vocals in my teenagehood. And now I do both. <laughs> <laughs> it all came back. Do you also dance? No. Come on. <laughs> Not anymore. I, I want some hot choreography at those Sunset Mission shows. I think that's like the my worst thing. I just, <laughs> I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> well, I, I won't hold you to it, but I, I'm just saying when I come to finally get to see Sunset Mission, I certainly hope that, that I see a little tip tapping around. Maybe some, maybe some head banging. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> that counts. So as far as like your first instruments, obviously you started with voice. What was your first like gear, like music gear? Oh, I guess it would be, I had this karaoke machine <gasps> yes. that I, I would use to sing like Taylor Swift karaoke with my cousin and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Classic. And she She's actually having a, a wedding in August. So it's kind of like full circle and, and they want everyone to dance at the wedding. So nice. they're probably going to make me dance. And <laughs> See, you can do dancing. You can do some Taylor Swift karaoke. <laughs> the options are endless, really. Have you performed at a wedding before? I've never. I've never done that. I've only done it a couple of times and it is rather nerve wracking. Yeah. Yeah. But it is fun and it's, I feel like a nice honor and you're a much more accomplished musician than I am. And so I'm sure <laughs> it's someday, someday somebody's gonna be like, Kim, will you play at my wedding? And you'd be like, normally I don't, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it'll be like, this is my thing. And I love playing at weddings. Something to think about. <laughs> All right. So your first like guitar, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You got when you were 10? I'm, I'm pretty sure my first guitar had a couple broken strings. It was like a, a three-quarter size acoustic uh -huh. and with ridiculously high action. Well, and you you were probably three-quarter size at the time. As, yeah, as well, totally. Right? I think I was even like a little smaller. Like I think we were debating on whether I should get a half size oh, or yeah. a three-quarter size. Mm -hmm. And then when I got the three-quarter size, I remember bringing it to Debbie. Mm-hmm. But it was like pouring rain out and I didn't have a case for it. Oh, no. So I believe we did drive there, but... I took it outside of the car without 
a case on in the rain. And I uh-huh. showed up, and she was just kind of like, oh, like, oh, dear. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. So that didn't really last too long. Well, <laughs> okay. Did you, have, did you move on after that to acoustic, to another acoustic or to electric? Yeah, I actually played a nylon string guitar for a mm. while, if I remember correctly. Nice. Yeah. Nice. What, and so, like, when, how old were you when you started getting into electric? I was 12 or 13. Okay. And then I also got a new teacher, too. I started mm. taking lessons with Mitch Jacor. And then I was also going to camps at the IMA as well. Yeah. Um, I pretty much started when I was, like, 11. Okay. Too. So that was... So you, so you started the IMA when you were 11? Yeah. So, like, right after you started playing, basically. Yeah. And so, for folks who don't know, what is IMA? IMA is the Institute for the Musical Arts, co-founded by Ann Hackler and June Millington. They're really wonderful people that came from California. There used to be an IMA West. It was a rock and roll camp for girls, and then they moved out east. And it's just this amazing, wonderful, magical place where girls can rock. (laughs) So, yeah. So June has been a guest here on on the podcast before, so folks can go back and listen to that episode. I highly recommend it. I loved it. it. I put it on in the car. (laughs) It's It's a good one. It was, I think about it often, actually. And June is just a delight and fabulous, fabulous musician and was in the band Fanny, who was like the... I'm just I'm using air quotes, but like the first all first all girl yeah, rock band. They were basically. the first to, all women yeah. rock band to be ever signed to a major record label, which there is huge. And they're getting actually a lot more recognition now. And it's like it's about yeah. time. <laughs> I know, <laughs> really, great. yeah, it's awesome. So I mean, I can't imagine like growing up spending ten years like under June's tutelage. Like yeah. that's a wild and exciting. Mm-hmm. thing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. About going to camps and what that was like? Totally. Or- just meeting other girls who want to play instruments was just such an important thing for me. Mm-hmm. And being under the mentorship of June was just always so, she would just like give it to us, you know? like <laughs> <laughs> not, not messing around? No, yeah. She had, she's just like this encyclopedia of wisdom and she Mm. always had a story and she Mm -hmm. always had something to share and she always really made us learn the history as well so she would be like it always starts with sister rosetta tharp and that was one of the things that she just would teach yeah so often and theory too although it took years for the theory to click (laughs) you know my friends would be like throwing pencils at each other and it'd be like hey like who who's the foremother and they'd be like what (laughs) i like that that's the like interruption like oh you're causing trouble give me (laughs) give me the names yeah Yeah, that's good so so you went there for it sounds like as a as a student i guess how long did you go there for i want to say i went to the so i went through the preteen program okay and then i kind of like graduated into the teen program and then i was in teen pretty much until i was 18 Mm -hmm. i want to say and then i started kind of getting into recording camp when I was 17. Mm -hmm. And then I did the recording camp for a couple of years. I did some in person, and then I even did one remote during pandemic times. And then I ended up teaching as an intern to the teen program after that. Cool. So I've been very connected. And uh, the the teaching, what kind of teaching were you doing? Like, what were you teaching? Yeah, I was offering lessons and just general support in the room. And it's just really cool to, like, watch the camp happen and watch the girls bond and Mm -hmm. you know they weren't even like it wasn't that long ago when I was a camper so it was really interesting to be kind of like an older sister mentor (laughs) yep yeah because you had just gone through it so you're like this is what happens also I remember 
three years ago when I was your age or whatever, five years ago, you yeah. know, having that like cl- little closer connection than maybe like someone who's a little bit older. Totally. That's nice. Yeah. It just sounds like a magical program. I remember my first per- first person who told me about it was my friend Delia. And I was like, wait, this is like this close. So so for for context, folks, we're in Rhode Island right now and and the IMAs in Goshen, Mass, which is about what, like two, two, two and a half hours away. I guess so. From um, here, so so not far, but like not not next door, but also like it's pretty yeah. nearby. The th- the thing, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I've still not visited yet, which is my own fault. I need to go <laughs> do that. But also, Delia, when she was first describing this, and I went on the website, and she was like, "It's like they have a rock camp, but they have yurts." <laughs> yeah, the yurts. I was like, oh my what? gosh, the yurts kind of creaked me out, and they were really <laughs> cold. So like, I don't, I'd always stay in the barn, but my friends would uh-huh. always be like, like wanting me to stay in the yurts, and I'd just be like, Ugh, like maybe one night. <laughs> And like, I like that yeah. the yurts are like, the, the, like you could kind of just stay where you wanted. So you could stay yeah, in the yurt totally. or you could stay in the barn. Those are the options. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> and do you just like sleep on a cot or something then or on the floor or how does, the, are there beds? How does it Yeah, work? there are bunk beds everywhere. Okay, okay. Some people sleep in the couches and some people in the recording programs, if you're really <laughs> like, you'll just like sleep in the studios uh-huh, and like the ISO uh-huh. boots nice. if you're working on something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, where the, are there bunk, I just have so many questions about yurts. Are there bunk beds in the yurts? There are bunk beds beds in the yurts. Okay, so the yurts are like large-ish then, that there are large enough to have bunk beds. Yeah, okay. they're like in a circle. Okay. And I need some yurt formation about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm only a little sorry. I'll be honest. <laughs> but yeah, I, I appreciate it. I, for some reason, did not ask June about the yurts, and I now I had to oh. ask you, so I'm glad I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation. Yeah. So, can you talk a little bit about your current setup? Oh, yeah. So, I swapped recently with my boyfriend slash bandmate mm-hmm. Colin and he had an Axe FX2 oh. that he was running through a Vera combo amp and we kind of swapped I gave him my pedal board and he uh-huh. gave me the Axe FX oh interesting so I've been like thrown into this world of like <laughs> preamp amp sim yeah. customize every little detail of yeah. the sound sort of stuff and I've been slowly learning how to make my own presets and running it in rehearsals Whoa. and I really I really like it but it's also so complicated like the foot switch, it's at foot, the foot switch isn't like the prettiest thing it's in the world. It's just like a piece of metal with a bunch of buttons yeah, and a couple screens maybe. But yeah, yeah, but it's very practical and you can go in between like hundreds, even like thousands, I'm pretty sure, of presets and like yeah. make, make it your own and edit them on your computer as yeah. well. Yeah, it's only moderately terrifying to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as you can see, we're, we're in my basement with my pedal board. It's like I'm used to a very traditional oh, pedal but board. I, I miss this, too. <laughs> it looks so nice. Did, did you trade so that for, for any... What was the purpose for, for the trade? Yeah, he, I think, was going to... He's getting a Marshall. Okay. So within that process, he was going to hand me down that, and he was going to use the pedal board with the effects loop in the Marshall. Got it, got it, got it. That makes sense. Yeah. And do you have like particular go-to type settings that you tend to use? Or are you just like, I'm you, I'm messing around and trying all kinds of stuff, like you haven't really settled into anything? Or Yeah. I made a clean tone that I put chorus on automatically. Mm-hmm. And then I also have like a dirty tone. And I also have a tone for my baritone guitar mm-hmm. and this one preset that I call Space Time, which is just like the ambient, <laughs> like swelly tone that I Good. have for the band in Sunset Mission. Nice. That's awesome. So I'm assuming you could just kind of go on forever and have like a trillion different settings and that yeah, could be totally. probably overwhelming, but it's it seems like you've got a good core. Yeah. I feel like I, sh- I need to change everything. 
<laughs> it's just it's so different now. I feel like our our sound calls for like a lot more. Like the multi delay I have on space time is sometimes mm-hmm. way too much. Mm-hmm. Like it'll stay, it'll linger in places where even after I shut off the volume pedal, it's like it's still like, going. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you? How many guitar play? You have like eight people in your band. We, yeah. That's so many people. I can't even coordinate with like <laughs> two or three people. <laughs> yeah, it's really rough trying to get yeah. those group pictures. Mm. <laughs> But, um, but I guess if you have that many people, then you can just have band practice, even if one person's not there. So yeah, I totally. guess that's easier in some ways. There's definitely a lot mm-hmm. of space. Like how many guitar players do you have in that How band? many guitar players? We have five, I want to say. Oh my five? goodness. Wait, wait a second. So <laughs> me, Jan, who plays lead, uh-huh. Colin and I, who play rhythm and other odd things, yeah. and then Dana sometimes plays, and so does Jesse sometimes. <laughs> But I would say like three. Wow. Ish. Yeah. Okay. So solid prog situation. Yeah. Great. Counterpart metal. Yes. Lots of stuff. <laughs> yes. So so your role, you said rhythm mostly or like. Yeah. It fluctuates between yeah. like rhythm and swells. And yeah. lately I've been learning some funkier stuff. Yeah. This album that they made, Journey to Lunar Castellum, which was the debut project that came before I met them at Marlboro College. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, it's so good. I would would tell everyone to listen to it. <laughs> nice. How long have you been playing with them? I've been playing with them since Marlboro, so since like 2019-ish, okay. 2020. Yeah. yeah, a little pre-pandemic. Yeah. Just enough to get your toes wet pre-pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but it sounds like, you know, if you have that many people playing guitar and that much sound happening, like finding your space in the band, seems like it could be... Like you, you, in some ways, have more opportunity to do what you want, I would imagine. Yeah. That, it's, I'm guessing. You can tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> it really depends on the song, actually. Mm-hmm. Like um, the Journey to Lunar stuff, there are a lot of like parts. Yeah. But on some of the jammier sections, there's room for interpretation. Mm-hmm. And like on my songs, I'm kind of like, you can do what, like, you know, if it sounds cool, you can come up with the part. Although in that way, I'm also working on like writing the parts yeah too so it's like a little it's like a push and pull of both yeah because it so so was this out was this all done before you joined the band or you're saying the album was made before i joined okay that's that's what it sounded like so i just want to clarify that yeah Yeah. so so are you so i'm assuming you're playing that stuff obviously Mm -hmm. and are you doing additional new kind of like writing writing new material right now as well yeah totally i i believe that i'm a folk writer at heart yeah right now and yeah i do I see you do a lot of, these... of finger style stuff totally yeah. mm-hmm. and then i also have all of these weird influences and mm-hmm. like the baritone guitar from my one rads and stuff like that yeah. has come into play a lot and um also some metal influence as well i i'm also wondering before we get into that too much if you want to if you could talk a little bit about so you have uh, so obviously you're a musician so you've experience with that like you done some teaching but also you have some experience like in the gear industry in particular as well right so like you'd worked at downtown sounds for a little while right so Mm -hmm. what was your role there and so downtown sounds is a it's a music store cooperative yeah it's a worker owned co-op worker owned co-op in northampton Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about your your, your role there or what you were doing there? Yeah, that was one of my favorite jobs. I mean, I've never really had like a normal job. So that uh-huh. was kind of as normal as it gets, like uh-huh. a musician working in a music store. But it was also, um, it was just like super awesome. The staff there is so nice and they were very inclusive. And they also, I did a lot of like 
um, sales floor, but I also got to do some marketing and Mm -hmm. I also got to just like kind of be the person to do whatever was needed. And it was just so fun. That's like, cool. And all my money went back into it. That's, yeah. I worked I worked at a guitar shop around when I was about your age, and that was a similar situation where I just was like, oh, I'm getting a discount. I guess yeah. I got to buy this now. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah. It's tough when you're like sitting around the gear all day, too, and you're like. Yeah. Mm. And you just get to try everything yep. out. <laughs> yep. So what do you, what would you say like you, what, what did you learn from that experience, would you say? I think I learned not to push myself too hard Mm -hmm. because I ended up leaving that job because I got a bit of a vocal injury as well. So Mm -hmm. that was one thing. But also I learned a lot about working with people. Yeah. And Northampton is definitely a time. (laughs) So Uh it's like it's like people who want to come in and play instruments are also like weird. (laughs) And I just I love the weirdos. I love them. And also like I'm pretty weird too. So it's like a good fit. But so yeah. in doing that, I guess, as far as like as a, you know, in a customer service role to some degree, like in, in that sort of salesy customer service space, like, do you feel like there are, you know, if you know that you're the people coming in, they might have particular quirks or something like that. Is there ways that you approach people that that you learned worked well in that scenario? Yeah, I guess. I mean, some people will come in and like every Monday they'll like ask for Keith or something like that uh-huh. and I'll be like Keith's in the back but he'll be here in a minute or like yeah and other things and one person flirted with me and like my other co-worker who was a woman was just like like around my shoulders <laughs> like what you working on Kim and that was one of my favorite <laughs> moments like thank you <laughs> I love that uh so nice to have a co-worker that has your back in that yeah. scenario yes so like you don't have somebody kind of getting weird yeah. In that way. Yeah. People get weird. People are weird. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I had this other coworker who like was obsessed with coffee and I was obsessed with coffee too. Uh-huh. And we both really liked prog metal. So we would just <laughs> hang out, talk about prog metal and talk about the new pedal that came in and whether it was worth it or not. Mm-hmm. Just, just get real jacked yeah. up on coffee and be like, <laughs> baloo, baloo, and like talk about all the cool, cool new pedals. Yeah. That sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, that's my, that's my prog shorthand. Baloo, baloo. That's oh, right. Yeah. Does that seem accurate? That's a lot of notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate your support. All right. I want to take a minute to shout out a few more of this episode's awesome sponsors. So first, Holcomb Guitars. Nick Holcomb builds beautiful custom guitars to your specifications and has a mobile guitar repair setup as well. And that means he will literally come to your house. If you live in Rhode Island or Massachusetts, he'll fix up your stuff on site or he'll take it, drop it off back to you afterwards. It is highly convenient. And he is just uh, such a sweet person, so kind and skilled as well. And so uh, all of that is great. You know you're not going to be treated like a jerk. You know he's going to do good work. And you know that he's in line probably with your values if you are listening to this podcast. So definitely check out HolcombGuitars.com or follow him on Instagram at HolcombGuitars for more, where you can see pictures of his latest build, which is beautiful. The neck on that recent guitar is bonkers bananas so cool check it out last but not least thanks to demonic machines and uh, demonic machines is a new sponsor that is an lgbtq plus owned and operated uh, pedal builder making small batch handmade handmade pedals in san diego california you may have seen me playing one of their clon copies uh which you know shares the same circuit uh with the homunculus which i've tried i have a little video on uh instagram about that and it just it, it <laughs> 
they're very funny and have uh, amazing imagery uh, and visuals on pedals. The actual pedals themselves are well made. Uh, just so many rad overdrives, fuzzes, distortions, filters, modulation, octaves, all of this. Their website includes a statement about a clear commitment to social justice. So if that's your jam, which I hope it is, you know you're in the right place. And also they have a new drive pedal that is called the God's Eye that looks highly flexible. Lots of UQ options. Check them out at demonicmachines.com. All right. Thank you to these fabulous sponsors. Back to the interview. Okay, so so the other thing that you have sort of been getting into recently in the music gear realm is is that you're going to be apprenticing, or you are apprenticing. You've been doing yeah. some building, I guess. Totally. Can you talk a little bit about your luthier luthiership and apprenticing? Yeah. So I built my first guitar when I was 17, mm-hmm. and it was a part of a homeschooling project at mm-hmm. North Star. And so I worked with a good friend, Elias Contouris, and mm-hmm. then also Rafi Fields, and then they kind of branched off after that and made canal side guitars and then it ended up being just Elias and then I approached Elias one day saying hey I have like all these like crazy weird ideas will you help me do them and he was like yeah sure like totally so I ended up working with him for about a year and now as of today he's actually on his way to Poland to do humanitarian work so that's kind of where Healy wow. came in. Yeah. Healy had saw my One Rad videos, actually, and mm-hmm. asked me if I wanted to do a guitar demo. And I was like, yes, like, of course. Yep. <laughs> so I went over there and I said, like, that Elias was going to Poland. And basically he took me on as his apprentice. That's so cool. So you said you had all of these, like, wild ideas. What were some of your wild ideas? Can you share them or not? Well, at first, I wanted to build a headless guitar, mm-hmm. and then we did, like, a day's worth of research and then realized that we couldn't make a headless guitar <laughs> without, like, getting the bridge and everything, like, for so much money, and it oh, just didn't yeah. seem worth it. Yeah. So eventually, I decided on the seven string. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and then I wanted to get all these weird woods and things. We got tortified ash and, like, walnut for the neck and just paduke orange like an orange fingerboard cool so it was just it's already weird and then i was like you ever hear of like epoxy pores and he was just like i've heard of those and i was like can we do one and he was like okay and yeah what a what a material but we ended up doing a bunch of epoxy pores and then i was listening to opeth while i was Uh making it so as one does the top the guitar top looks so metal and cool. so pretty with like red and black and a little bit of blue and like this gold streaming throughout wow. it. So I'm really excited about it. That sounds awesome. And I took that project to Healy. Right. And so and so you're going to kind of finish that up with Trevor's support? Yeah. Cool. And what, what are you using for pickups? Do you have that lined up already or no? Yeah. The Pegasus Sentient 7, I think they're called, mm-hmm. but the Seymour Duncan ones. Cool. They cool. sound so good. <laughs> nice. That's cool. That's really exciting. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I've just never gotten into the, I, I think I'm a little scared of that aspect of, of, yeah. of it. And I it's it's cool that you're like, no, no, we're just going to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's super scary. I mean, and it takes so long. And when you do everything by hand, yeah. it's just, it's it amazes me every time at the, as well. Like when Elias and I... We're getting ready to slot frets. Yeah. We had to make the jig and like it just took weeks of like coordinating and planning yeah. and testing. And then I just that ended up not really working out. Uh-huh. And then when I went to Healy, we 
slotted again, but it took like four hours. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> Casual. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's nice. So do you have other like projects that you want to, like other yeah, ideas? I have so many. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one of them was the pick guard on my baritone. Mm-hmm. I made that as well with him. Yeah. And that was really fun. And that's the epoxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's got the swirl. Casual swirl. Yeah, that one actually, the swirl kind of sucked. So (laughs) we like cut it in half though and opened it. And on the inside, it just looked perfect. Oh, that's cool. It ended up working out. And that mixture had a little less hardener in it. So obviously, I'm a professional epoxy pourer. Yeah. (laughs) So the top is much harder on the seven string. And the pick guard is much more movable, which ends up working out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, you're learning, <laughs> right? Yeah. But it's cool that you're able to, like, so quickly apply it to what you'd already done. Totally. That's exciting. All right. So you do a lot of, it's. so we talked, you do a little finger picking, we talked about, right? And so I'm wondering, that's probably from when you first, did, when you're playing more acoustic and, like, nylon yeah, stuff. Folk yeah, folk stuff. Yeah. yeah. Which is really cool. And I'm wondering, like, so you've got that, but then you also do, like, tapping, and then you do, like, alternate tunings and, like, all this yeah. stuff. So where did, wh- what are your influences around some of some of that stuff? Or how did you get into it? Wow. I mean, I really don't feel like I'm not good at tapping at all. <laughs> I, I mean, it depends on who you're talking to. Right? Yeah, like, I guess so. Who are you comparing yourself to? <laughs> like, that young. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, well, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm just really interested in like what something can do for me like Mm -hmm. um oftentimes I can only play something with my fingers Mm -hmm. um to the degree of quality I want it to so I'll just I'll finger pick and then other times I'll tap because the notes I want to reach the slide to slide up will be way too far which is something I'd have to go back and learn later but for now I would just like tap as a way to figure that out and then alternate tunings I just love I I think Yvette Young actually said in an interview that it was like a painted canvas or Mm -hmm. something the canvas Mm -hmm. is already painted and Mm -hmm. you just you already have colors you can work with and I just love that yeah so I do that with any guitar in fact I leave them in the odd tunings and then when my boyfriend Colin goes to pick up a guitar he's just like what the what what is this when Uh, I went to go play the Healy guitar when I visited Trevor last week it was in your tunings oh my god (laughs) I love that (laughs) which is why I was like oh we can talk about that (laughs) yeah Yeah. So do you just kind of like experiment or do you really, you're like, well, Yvette used this one and I saw somebody else use this one. So I'm going to try these or how does it work? I think Yvette had a tuning that was like F A C G A Mm -hmm. or B. I I don't really remember, but I used that for a while during like my first year doing the one riff a day challenge Mm -hmm. with She Shreds Media. And then I would just kind of like Open D, I came from, like, open tunings with folk music, and then I'd change, like, one note. Like, one of my favorites, which was probably the one that you picked up, is, like, open D with a nine on the top. Oh, yeah. And I just, it sounds so beautiful. Yeah. We love our nines. It was very funny. I also didn't pick up, I I didn't even notice right away that it was in drop D, or that it had been, I was just, I was, like, just playing along, and neither of us, like, even noticed at first. Maybe it was drop D. (laughs) It was either drop D or open D. It definitely was drop D. I think it was drop D. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> it was funny. So, but it's nice. Yeah, it's nice to be able to like experiment. I think for me as a person who's like theory is really bad, it's kind of scary, especially if I were playing with like a 
bunch of other people to be like, I don't know what I'm playing right now. That's the sound I would make. That's how I would talk if I were in that situation. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been like super huge on theory either. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm kind of like, I keep getting nudges from bandmates to learn a little, well, not like, it's not like they're being like, you must learn the circle of fifths (laughs) or or whatever. But I just feel the need to like, learn a little bit more about what I'm doing and try to be more intentional. Yeah. I'm getting there too. It only took me 20 more years than you. (laughs) But yeah, that's, that's really cool. And it's just, I think it's, it's cool to see kind of the interspersing of like, so I guess almost more of like a percussive, like you're using your right hand a lot in different ways as opposed to just your left hand and then a a pick. And so like, it's interesting, I guess I hadn't really thought of like the tapping connection to finger style or finger picking, but that does actually seem kind of natural now that I'm thinking about it. (laughs) I'm working it through in my head right now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you look at like Toast and the bossy, yeah. he's just like killing yeah. it with the double thumb, right? And just all of the stuff, and he also plays nylon guitars too. I, I don't think I've ever seen that before. That's interesting. Like, oh, it's does so he beautiful. always play nylon? He doesn't always play nylon. No, he. I was like, I don't. I was like, this is all new information. But yeah, I can see that. Okay. Yeah, he's that's cool. Great. Yeah, <laughs> I could totally see that working on nylon. That makes a lot of sense. That's cool. So for so as far as like your other gear stuff, so we talked a little bit about your axe effects. Do you, did you have any pedals that you really relied on or other amps that you really were into or other guitars that you are psyched about? Hmm. I just kind of use whatever's around. Mm-hmm. Like, I love messing around with Colin and Jan's Marshalls. Mm-hmm. Colin has this pedal, the the Big Sky. Oh, the Strymon? Yeah, yeah. the Strymon. Mm-hmm. But I just, I love it. Yeah. For a while, when the pedal board was mine, I got to use it. In hey. rehearsals. But now I have to program it, like, in the Axe <laughs> Effects, so it's like, darn you, Colin. <laughs> DIY Big Sky. <laughs> Definitely. Yes, that's cool. Yeah, that thing's pretty wild. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. True. Mm-hmm. There, yeah. like, Clouds is one of the presets, and, like, all the others, like, I think are just names of clouds. I I don't really remember. You know what? I I I haven't played with it a ton. I've I've only played with it here and there, like at a store. But that makes a lot of sense. I I feel like one was called like Nimbus or something. Please, I hope so. That would be great. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Okay, so so let's let's talk a little bit about your experiences with like gender identities and gear. Yeah. So we've kind of hit on it a little bit, but like, I guess how has that shown up for you in your musical? life so either like as a performer as a bandmate as like a person working in retail like how has that shown up for you totally I mean when I look back at my roots I'm just this folk musician who grew up in the western mass folk rock scene mm-hmm. and then when I went to Marlboro College that's when I met the prog players uh-huh. and so I have all of these different influences and now I'm like this adopted Cambodian American girl who plays progressive rock and metal obviously so it's like all of these weird things together but yeah I've always felt like there is a space that I could call home in terms of the music Mm -hmm. which is really wonderful and I know not everyone has that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I'm just very grateful that's awesome have you like have you had any particular spaces where you faced any like like either where you've seen things go really well like things have been really supportive or things that have been more of a challenge for you yeah I mean if we're also getting into like music retail i've o- i've always had good experiences at nice. downtown sounds yeah. and they're they've always been so supportive and then like when you look at guitar center i've had like 
not good experiences there. <laughs> there was a, the, our listeners, there was a, a very big thumbs down. Yeah, super big. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've had okay experiences sure. there, like a few, yeah. maybe. But in general, I've like had people not pull down guitars for me while like reading a magazine being like I trust you you can pull it down and it's like <laughs> literally out of my reach and it's like okay if you want it to come like crashing to the floor I guess so in my mind you're you're like gonna jump up and like grab it like you're doing like a like a basketball like you're gonna <laughs> what is that called Oh, slam, dunk, slam dunk, slam dunk, slam dunk. All right, that was embarrassing. <laughs> okay, so like, yeah, you're you're running across the the floor at Guitar Center to like slam dunk and like grab the guitar <laughs> from really high. Obviously, that's a recipe for success. But yeah, yeah so maybe maybe not as attentive as even if it's not like f- offensive per se, just generally inattentive. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I've bought things there, and guys have like stared at me like mm-hmm. what, just like as if they don't know that I have like a legit purpose in being there or yeah. like I remember this time I asked about an electronic drum kit and they were just totally like oh I don't know let me go like check with someone else and then the whole process took like 30 minutes just to like answer a <laughs> question somebody did yeah mm-hmm. yeah so just generally like no bueno <laughs> yeah and it's a bummer because I feel like you know as the biggest retail space like there's an opportunity to like give people a really positive experience totally and some people that i talk to do have really positive experiences there and i think it depends a little bit on the particular store but it's yeah it's unfortunate yeah so boo boo (laughs) (laughs) as far as like live live situations have you had any particularly like good or bad experiences with that yeah i mean one of my projects in the past zoki pretty much that ended when I went to college, it was super fun. And we would mm-hmm. play around IMA and we would just mm-hmm. play everywhere. It was an all-female trio and we had so much fun. But I don't think there were any particularly grueling experiences. Yeah. And with this eight-piece band, we've only had one show, but the project has been alive for like yeah. the last five years. Yeah. So it's like this dynamic, like where where are we in like the business and where are we in the playing and where are we in just the general like, like we don't have <laughs> gigs. Like, yeah. Well, it seems like, you know, you, it seems like you all are spending a lot of time thinking about music and you're like, this is what we want to do. And yeah. like, I'm sure that varies the level of like in, you know, like attentiveness to that per person but like it seems like you're pretty into it so trying to figure out like what's the next step with that I guess yeah yeah that makes sense but I think the pandemic has been a weird time for everybody to try and figure that out so yeah I mean pretty much all of our promotional and touring efforts were put on hold and so Colin and Dana basically hit the studio Dana's our drummer and made this 16 minute long prog epic (laughs) during that time fabulous they wrote the thing completely over zoom you know all of the parts and then they Whoa. worked really hard on it and then we spent the summer like making it but throughout that you know there were mask mandates being on and off and all of these mm-hmm. different things so a lot of hurdles yeah oh boy well hopefully things are going in the right direction even though it's i don't know i have i feel like every day i'm just like well, yeah it's a different thing who knows what's going to be the next day so crossing my fingers obviously like you're in this kind of like prog Would you call it prog proper, prog slash math, prog fusion, prog funk? What do you want to... Oh, God. Not that you have to label it specifically, but I guess it's like mostly things that are sort of prog or prog adjacent. Does that seem accurate? Yeah. With this project. Totally. I I think it's 
there's definitely a prog funk element Mm -hmm. and you could also say fusion just because there's like so much going going on on. Mm -hmm. i don't know if fusion has more to do with jazz or not but like i can see it you know we have folk songs even on the album yeah there's this song called sunset crater and that's a folk song and then we're very influenced by soundscapes and shoegaze as well Mm, so you'll hear a lot of stuff in the background as well yep yeah that makes a lot of sense i think part of the reason i'm asking is because i feel like there's this like general stereotype about women in Prague. yeah where Uh, are the women in Prague? like where are they (laughs) (laughs) i'm asking you (laughs) but but yeah, I mean, have you, have you, so obviously that's something you're aware of. Yeah. <laughs> How does that feel for you? It's, it's really cool to be playing guitar mm-hmm. in a prog band as a woman. And then it's also like, there are all these awesome singers as well, like Annika van Giersbergen, who's this amazing Dutch singer who mm-hmm. is kind of flying like a solo agent now. She was in The Gathering in mm-hmm. like the 90s and now she's just playing everywhere and she does session work like a lot of these really talented singers do session work yeah for guys like arian and like a bunch of other a bunch of other people Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's i don't i i I have feelings about it i guess like i'm thinking back even like way back when Prague sort of started like i feel like there was this general stereotype about it like about like even like rush or yes or something you know like that you know, I'm using quote unquote girls don't like rush or whatever. Or like, I feel like there were like jokes about it and stuff. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and that's like, you know, obviously in the way back machine. But I think that there's like this like leftover thing about it. Yeah. I just personally feel like everything is kind of becoming progressive. Like mm-hmm. I follow some Berkeley College women and mm-hmm. they'll be like covering intervals and like doing all of these things yeah. and like looking to Yvette Young. Yep. And I, I feel like we all kind of look to Yvette Young and yeah. all the other people. And that's when you kind of get into math rock as well. Right. So that's kind of like those elements coming together. Yeah, I think that was, it, it's interesting because I feel like the the theory that I'd sort of heard of before was that like, and this is like going back, obviously, and I don't think this is 100 percent the case, but for a long time, like like the focus being more on like music as expression or focus on songwriting as opposed to like shredding in the proper sense. I'm using air quotes again. And so it's almost like not that people weren't able to do it. It's just that they were like, is this what I want to do? Is this like is this the type of, or was it, or I'm not sure whether it was like the music itself versus, I think it was probably more just like the feeling in that space that everything had to be like yeah. exactly right or I something. Mean, I feel like when I was first getting into the music, mm-hmm. like the doors were kind of closed just in that I had never heard of Prague. I didn't yeah. know what it was. I was never exposed to it. And all of a sudden I met these dudes who were like, listening to animals as leaders and like i remember putting on cascade with my friend from the joy of motion and just being like oh my god Mm -hmm. like this is what they it's so much yeah there's a lot happening yeah Mm -hmm. and now it's just like i don't really listen to much else Mm -hmm. the genre just takes up so much of my time also because there's so much to listen to like i feel like there are some albums that i put on like a pain of salvation or a ritual album and it's just like i hear something new every time yeah yeah it can kind of bring you in in a way that yeah because there's so many layers and everything yeah and i and i i do think that there are more women trans non-binary folks in prog and math rock spaces than there used to be yeah 
I definitely like even on just on like, you know, YouTube or wherever, like totally just random people that I'm like, I don't know who you are as a musician, but you clearly are just like killing it. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I don't know what that is or why that's all of a sudden changed. Like, I feel like a lo- like companies that are like promoting musicians, I feel like frequently that's the style of me- like when there is a woman that they're promoting frequently, that's the style of music they play, which is mm. just fascinating to yeah, me like how that shifted cool. have you seen this as well have you noticed this at all yeah what in particular like what companies or like well i mean it's it, you know companies like ibanez or companies like you know definitely some of the companies that do some of the like fan fret guitars you know yeah. like that kind of thing are are uplifting folks that are playing that style of music. Yeah. Yeah. I see some like a lot of women on D'Angelico is that the name? Yes, D'Angelico kind of is crushing it yeah yeah (laughs) totally yeah so i see a lot from them but i just feel like in my feed it's just like man 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 (laughs) like when it comes to that stuff yeah that's cool but i'm definitely excited to see more women yeah and progressive music yeah i can only imagine that it's gonna continue which is good but it's it is it is interesting how much that shifted even a short period of time like i think yeah totally i think the issue is still it's obviously still an issue as you're identifying but i think that like it is at least slowly moving in the right direction which is cool yeah and and i think seeing more people like having yvette to point to and like other folks you know even like before her like someone like marnie stern or something like that you can point to somebody who's playing this more technical kind of like stuff and be like oh yeah like that i can do that you know it's cool. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I had reached out to you as well, and you've mentioned it a few times already, the the She Shreds one riff oh, a day, yeah. right? <laughs> so, that. Well, it, yeah. Oh, that old thing. So we've talked about it on the on the podcast a bit, like what it is. And it's, you know, it's basically She Shreds has a month every year, usually where they ask, where they say like, hey, post a video of yourself every day playing a short riff on Instagram or whatever. And so you're saying this is the second year that you've done it? You yes. did it the previous year too? Mm-hmm. Cool. So how how did you originally find out about it? How did you become aware of it? Do you know? I think I found out through their Instagram. I could have found out through IMA's Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just like, I saw the Instagram post and mm-hmm. I was like, that looks really cool. Mm-hmm. And I am also a photographer. Mm-hmm. So I, I was really interested in like, the challenge also as well for the visual element of like playing the guitar and then also like working on the music as well. So it's really good. And I was really initially super excited because I wanted to use these riffs as a springboard to like make an album. Yep. Which of course now is turning into a larger album with different influences. Mm -hmm. And this is Um, a solo album. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think it's going to be a collaboration between Sunset Mission because like Sunset Mission usually the founders are involved in the writing and the production and then what I'm doing is kind of like mostly my own stuff so yeah. I, I have to develop all of these ideas but um anyway one rad was really awesome and really stressful the first year <laughs> uh-huh. because I was like everything has to be done on the DSLR and I have yeah. to do all these things yep. and like I had to constantly ask Colin for help on how to use <laughs> Reaper and like how to sync the audio mm-hmm. and then the second year was like much better right right yeah. Well, and and so like so I found out about you through One Rad 
because uh, oh, yeah. you were featured. Oh my god, which was so cool. I was like, who is this? Dang. I, I think I was like sitting in bed with my partner and I was like, look at this. Oh and I was God. like, in one socket. And then I was like, how do I not know this person? Well, that was kind of like where where I my awareness was raised. I was like, how, how like I think that was the thing. I was like, how do I not know this person? So now I know this person, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and so like obviously you got featured, you were in like the top what was it? Yeah. The finalists? feature the feature was the like top ten of the mm-hmm. week mm-hmm. and I was first and I was just like, What is happening? <laughs> like that day one I was like, Oh, I should have recorded that on my camera and I should have like paid it and paid more attention to like my facial expressions. <laughs> but I ended up getting third in the entire challenge this year, which blows me away. That's so much that's fun. That's huge. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I have no idea how many people actually do it, but like that's certainly there are a lot. So that's so awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously, once again, one rad bringing folks together. It's a nice opportunity. I feel like what was there? Uh, I mean, I have my thoughts about it as far as like a process, but what, yeah. what, did, what do you think you learned out of the process? I just love the community aspect of mm-hmm. it. I feel like they made a lot of things like they made a discord this year that I don't believe they did last year. Yeah. I think that part was new. Yeah. Yeah. And they just, they made a mentor mentee program Mm. as well, which was super cool. Mm -hmm. And then they also had more open mics, I believe, and just general, like more conversations. And I feel like that's so important. That's so cool. Yeah. It's nice to see it evolving over the years and like how people kind of pop in and out. And sometimes, you know, like you'll get people who are like, I'm doing this on the whatever kazoo or something like, yeah, (laughs) it's, I like how it's sort of like branched out a little bit as well, which is fun to see. Yeah. Just lots of opportunities for folks to kind of like dig into their own creative process. I feel like every time I do it, I'm just like, oh, I've learned a lot this year. Just like spending the time like forcing yourself to like do it yeah you know and then you're also playing to an audience that really cares and that wants to support you and i just think that's so wonderful totally yeah and they're kind of like everybody's supporting each other or lifting each other up as it's happening Mm -hmm. and everybody wants everyone else to like to do it yeah have fun (laughs) which is great so all right so is there anything in like any gear related stuff that you are like particularly proud of would you say so something gear related that i'm really proud of i guess is just i always love learning about tone mm-hmm. and shaping it um mm-hmm. and decorating recordings with soundscapes and surprising sounds <clears throat> and i use the neural dsp plugins like pretty much on the daily yeah they're so good man i haven't gotten into that world yet and i feel like it's something i need to learn about what do you I guess is so you buy you, this is a really silly question but like <laughs> so so you get the is it like a plug-in pack sort of or how does it show like you buy each plug-in separately okay all right all and right. it's usually an archetype okay of someone's tone so got like, it my first one was of course the toast and the bossy got archetype it. the bossy nice and that one was really fun and we used it on our 16 minute long tune and all sorts of things cool lately i've just been loving the the gojira one nice. like it's just such a monstrous tone and he joe plays like telly's that's why so i feel yeah, like okay. it works yep. even better like tosin's is really cool but it's also like we don't have an eight string right so the characteristics are a bit different yep and with the gojira one it's just like it works for mm-hmm. most of the totally. guitars we have yep mm-hmm. that makes sense totally cool okay is there anything like like that you would say like a, something about gear that people are like this is something we all believe in and you're like no i don't i don't <laughs> believe in this thing something you disagree with 
Yeah, I think that a lot of people underestimate the power of cheap gear. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you can do so much with like a little battery powered amp. Like sometimes we reamp strings through like a a little Marshall. It's like a, a battery powered. Marshall oh, one of those amp. little tiny little yeah, mini mini amps. Yeah, one of the really yeah. tiny ones. You can't see we're holding our hands about <laughs> six inches away from each other to indicate one of those tiny mini stacks. <laughs> yeah, and just like I, when I was like thirteen, I got an orange Crush twelve yep. L from Downtown Sounds, and mm-hmm. and then I didn't use it, and then it was like sitting in my basement, and then one month. This year, my bandmates pulled it out and started messing around with it, and now it's the tone tracked on one of our upcoming releases. Wow. So it's just... That's cool. I yeah. feel like that that particular amp has come up a number of times. Like, yeah, I think it's, it's like so a, good. It's just something that people like get, and they're like, oh, it's orange. <laughs> and yeah. they're like, and I'm starting to play, and it looks cool. And then they're like, actually, this is really useful. So that's totally. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love... Cheap Gear really can do so much. It's yeah. like... I, I feel like there's so many... There's so many, like, it just has more character, I think, in some cases. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So I, I, I'm on board. I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> Even though the Strime is nice, the cheap gear can be nice, too. <laughs> yeah. And plus, you can take it anywhere. Totally. Like, you can just pack it, and you can busk, or and yep. do all of these things. It's yep. wonderful. doesn't weigh that much, and you don't have to worry about being stolen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which People is nice. are like, what's that? All right. So we're closing up shop here a little bit, but if you were speaking to folks in the industry, and they came to you, and they said, Kim, we want to make the industry better, more inclusive. What would you say? More prog women. <laughs> make more. <laughs> make more of them. Support more. Facilitate the growth. I mean, I really just think that programs like OneRad are so valuable to people and mm-hmm. that giving people a platform to have their voices heard is ultimately the goal. So, yeah, I would say that. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And having having that space and like the encouragement can mean a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, what else is coming up for you? How can people stay in contact with you? Can you what's where where are we at? Yeah. So my Instagram is Mm -hmm. Kim C. Givens. If anyone wants to follow me or check out what I'm doing, my band's account is sunset underscore mission. And pretty much we use like only Instagram and we have some things coming up that I can't announce. I really want to, but I can't. (laughs) Well, you'll have to follow on Instagram so that you know what's going on. (laughs) Totally. And we just got a grant at City Space East Hampton. So we're going to be doing a residency in August. We're going to have a three-day practice intensive, and then we're going to have a show on August 7th showcasing our work. So what does that, what is a three-day practice intensive? Does that mean like you're writing all new stuff or what is, what are the parameters of that? It's a practice intensive. So we're going to work on different ways to lock up with each other and work on parts. And we do a lot of, a lot of metronomic work. So that's Mm going to be one of the prime features and also just a lot of vocals too. Like I love singing to drones. Mm. I find that so helpful Mm -hmm. and just ambient music. I feel like that really makes things all together. Nice. And nice. (laughs) That sounds good. I like the, I also like the word metronomic. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Woo. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's always there for you. (laughs) That's awesome. So yeah. So thank you so much for, for hanging with me today and hopefully folks will, will get a chance to check you out. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Ellie. Bye. 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 Bye.
It was so fun to get a chance to sit down in person with Kim. I ran into her a few months back at a guitar show in Worcester, Massachusetts, and that was a treat as well. You can check out all the show notes for everything Kim-related, and if you are in Western Mass, definitely check out Sunset Mission, or if she comes to your town anywhere else, definitely go check it out. All right. As promised, let's talk AI. Turns out I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this. I started to research this last week and just kind of kept going with it. So uh, so let's get into it. First off, while I am a psychologist by training, this is not my area of expertise, but I will you know, sort of place that within my area of expertise, which is gender specifically and diversity more broadly, music in general, right? So <laughs> I'm not a copyright lawyer, none of that, but this is, I'm just looking at it through my lens, okay? So I am not not the specialist in AI by any means. All right, so while there are like many implications here for a ton of things, including like education, for example, here I specifically focused on music and art because that seemed relevant to the podcast, right? So that is, that's my general caveat before we get into it. So my own experience with ChatGPT, first of all, I want to start with. So when I first tried it, I asked it to write, a, this is the direct command, write a blog post about stereotype threat and music gear. And since those are fairly specific topics, I was assuming it would be too hard, <laughs> but it actually did pretty well. So that's when I first was like, hmm, let me check this out a little bit more. So I asked it to write something longer. And honestly, even though it didn't, once again, have a lot of like personality, I could have put that on my website. And if somebody just popped onto my website without knowing me at all, no one would have batted an eye, which is very intense to to witness in, in front of your eyes because it all happens so fast when you type it in. So next, I wanted it to do sort of a creative task. So I asked it to like write a song about being a mom because that was the first thing came, that came to my head. So this is where things got a little rough and where I think folks who are, you know, are writing creative output, output have, you know, somewhat less to worry about. But it was pretty cookie cutter uh, and pretty awful overall, um, even after using a few different prompts, such as like write a metal song about being a mom, uh, which did start with the line, I'm a mom of chaos. So there's that. <laughs> um, it's entertaining, if nothing. I also had it write a hilarious song about Providence, Rhode Island's disgraced former mayor, Buddy Cianci, which was also hilarious. I found that when I asked it to write a poem rather than a song, the results were somewhat better, but not much. And so... It's as far as that's concerned, I was just curious to see what it would do, but it was it wasn't great as far as like the creative output that I saw. So maybe other people had better experience. That was not what I found. So that was my, you know, I with that, I could see the potential for that, right? So it's there's there's a chance that I could see like finally like getting a little bit better with a little bit more tweaking. So, but that was my, you know, literally about 24 hour foray into chat, chat GPT that I actually got to use it before it reached um, capacity internally and I haven't been able to access it since. So that was like last Monday or something. Uh, so, <laughs> and if you tried to access it, you probably haven't been able to get, the, get in either. Uh, so while there are some responses that were generally like, hit or miss overall, you know, as I'm saying, it was it's surprisingly competent technology. And in some ways, the fact that it is better than we might expect is what leads to our fascination with it. And I have some links. If you look at the blog post about this topic that kind of talk about like how 
AI and like our expectations around it sort of determine how how we feel about it. Uh, another one is like anthropomorphism, which is another issue with AI, which I'm not going to get into here. It's it's all of this is very fascinating. So uh, I will add, you know, I, I just saw today that Canva, the um, graphic design platform that people use for people like me use if you're not good at Photoshop, uh, they now include text based AI as well. And, you know, as someone who blogs, I'm constantly getting ads for different text based IA programs like Jasper or things like that. They're advertising that Jasper in particular advertises itself as an AI copywriter, and I get those at least once per day, if not more. So, how does generative AI work? And so, this is where I'm like, this is not my specialty, but I'll I'll give you a general idea if you haven't heard about it yet. So, ChatGPT and other generative AI work sort of by scouring text databases uh, that they're fed and uh, by its programmers and creating patterns based on what it finds. And I guess it's text if it's chat text-based, but otherwise it could be image-based. Um, ChatGPT uses text from the internet currently up until 2021. So if you put some current event in there, it's not going to show up. Um, you can also see how art or music-based AI would use different sources to generate its patterns and how source material of any AI can imp impact the quality and the relevance and diversity of responses, right? That makes sense. Um, so that was the first thing I was like, where is this all coming from? Um, and you've likely seen ChatGPT is just one space where AI has been all the rage, right? So as I mentioned, Lensa, the art-based generative AI program has blown up. I've also recently seen an AI-created guitar tabulature program. And there are programs now that actually create AI-generated music. There's a uh, web, uh, Tencent Music in China has generated 1,000 or more than 1,000 songs with generated AI vocals that are actually getting millions of plays on Spotify and streaming services. So that's kind of wild, right? I, I played around with some of this music-based music, music -based stuff, and a lot of it is like... Once again, pretty generic because this is what happens when when you are pulling in from lots of places. Um, I could see it being used for things like a YouTube video or like the background of like a, a intro to a podcast, for example, um, that is like a very generic non-music based podcast. I could see them pulling that kind of thing. Um, but it's it's not once again, it's not like going to blow anybody's minds, but obviously it's doing well enough to get a lot of plays. If somebody's just looking for some like generic background music or something like that, fine. Um also, you know, you likely, if you've made a playlist in a, you know, any sort of, uh, you know, uh, streaming service, you you maybe even used it today, right? You might have used AI to generate that playlist, whether or not you even were aware that's what's happening. All right. So let's talk about some legal and ethical concerns for artists, because you can imagine there are many. Um, if we, once again, I'm not a lawyer, but let, let's get into it. So if we know this AI is pulling from a piece of writing, artwork, music, et cetera, right, the next question often comes to ownership. But if thousands or millions of pieces are being scoured, right, to, to generate a particular piece, whose is it? Is it the artist whose work is the source material? Is it the person who programmed it? Is it the AI generator company itself? What is the source? Uh, you know, what if the source is like a public domain? Does that matter? How do we know that someone created a piece of work themselves or generated it through AI? That's another question, right? These are all concerns ethically, legally, right? 
There have also been instances where someone uses Lensa to generate an image with commands using specific artist names, right? Which would lead the program to create a piece using just one artist as the source material. So what if you, like I did, asked ChatGPT to write song lyrics in the style of Flat Fleetwood Mac or Sonic Youth or whomever, right? Uh, with, you know, hip hop and sampling, we have some legal precedent for some of this, right? Um, though it took quite some time for that to be established, right? Um, and, you know, most samples, the interesting thing here is that the samples are pulling from just one source rather than combining many together, which makes things slightly more complicated. So you can see, like, if you're just picking one particular artist, how is that different than, like, many different artists, right? It gets easier to pinpoint. A friend of mine is a visual artist, and every time someone shares their Lensa images, one of the generated works that shows up works like looks like eerily similar to her work. And as you can imagine, she and many other artists have been really upset about, <laughs> about what they're viewing as, as theft, right? And since this is all so new, we don't yet know where this lands legally and, you know, the laws which really have to catch up with the technology. And part of the, both the legal, ethical, and artistic concerns here are based in how we define creativity as well. So is this creative? Is, is this work that's being made actually even good? As I mentioned before with my mom of chaos, uh, <laughs> there are a few commonly used definitions of creativity, and you could go down a whole other thing with this. Um, but Runko and Jaeger in 2012 delineate the two sort of generally. Uh, they did a whole sort of, I guess, meta-analysis of this. Um, and the characteristics that they identify as part of the standard definition, which is originality, or novelty, you know, effective, and then effectiveness or utility, right? So you have like, is it something new or is it something useful, right? Those are the two sort of main components of creativity. And, you know, the language has varied slightly over the years, but it's those two main traits that are the most important, right? Something new and something useful. So knowing kind of how creativity is defined, we can see how that might show up, right? Um, so let's talk about AI's impact on marginalized groups. So as you can imagine, there are a variety of potential issues related to AI and creativity, the idea of like musical echo chambers, flattening creative output, all of that, right? Uh, like my song about being a mom. And while that is a concern for me, I am actually more concerned about the likely disproportionate impact of this technology on oppressed groups. So while there's already been evidence of a gender gap, uh, gender bias in music playlist algorithms, uh, that has been demonstrated, right? Like we've seen that that actually happens when a playlist is being created, there is going to be more men uh, represented um, than other genders. So uh, in this case, much of this has to do with the source material, right? That makes sense. So if due to the discrimination they faced, a particular group is less represented in the source material used to generate a song, for example, the creativity and the perspectives from that particular group's experience won't be present in the AI-generated creation, right? That makes sense. And, you know, if stereotypes are present in the source data, they will then be found in what's created, right? Like, it's essentially the representation problem, but it's just like multiplying itself over and over again. This all tracks, right? Recently... <laughs> An AI-generated rapper, FK Mecca, who is presented as black, was created by two men, one Asian and one white, 
After becoming the first AI artist signed to a major label, the artist was recently dropped from Capitol Records after accusations of its free creation of racial stereotypes and appropriation, using racial slurs, and sharing AI-generated images of the artist being beaten by police. So folks were rightfully kind of upset about that. Um, so they ended up getting dropped. So ChatGPT has already noted the potential for issues with uh, sharing untrue information or falsehoods or harmful speech or hate speech, right? And that has included, they've spoken about some tips about how to prevent it. It also looks they've been, like they've been attentive to it, but that's going to be a long haul game, right? <laughs> we know that that's the case with social media currently and all technology, and I'm assuming that's going to continue to be an issue for them as well. Once legal issues start to roll out, the first issue that oftentimes shows up um, that there is some sort of disproportionate impact is likely around ownership, right? So in the music space, this might show up in a few ways. So first, if an artist is less likely to be picked up by a label due to their identity or they don't have the money or information needed to copyright their work, their work is then less likely to be protected, right? And then even if they do have the rights to their work, they might be less likely to be able to afford to sue to uphold their copyright if it is stolen um, based on the fact that they have less money because of this discrimination, right? So issues of representation, ownership, appropriation, stereotypes will likely all be concerns moving forward. And you can read more about AI and colonialism uh, in the blog post. There's a link to that as well. Or, you know, additional readings related to to those issues. So plenty, plenty to think about. Concerns, though, specifically in music gear. Let's talk about that for a sec. So there, as you are likely aware, there is no shortage of pedal clones, fights about pedal clones, all of that, right? It's constantly happening. Lawsuits are common. Companies who are particularly litigious in nature, like Gibson or Rickenbacker, seem to be continuously vigilant against trademark infringement, right? We've seen this over and over again, so much so that there's like an entire era of lawsuit guitars, <laughs> which are great, by the way. Um, with this, questions have arisen. Is it acceptable to copy any design? Just the most popular or ubiquitous designs like a Tube Screamer or a Strat or something? Just designs that are no longer made? Does it matter who they were originally made by? What their identity was? Is it okay as long as they were given proper credit? So these are all questions that come up, right? What happens then as we enter the potential realm of AI-generated schematics, guitar bodies, amp modeling, <laughs> plugins, industrial designs? And there's even places where this has started to show up already. Whose ideas will be sourced? Who will get credit? How will they be compensated? And who is left out? Those are the major questions, right? I don't have the answers here, but I hope that manufacturers, programmers, all those, these folks are taking these questions into consideration as we move into this sort of new landscape. And it brings us back to this question, right? Like, how do we handle new technology? Of course, every time a new technology enters our cultural purview and use, there is an initial panic. And this makes sense, especially since we can't entirely predict how it will be used. And in the music space, you could see that with electric guitars, synthesizers, uh, you know, probably the closest analogy here with sampling, uh, of course, people have found amazing ways to use all this technology to pu push creativity forward including the creation of entirely new genres of music. As, you know, with most new technology, there is enormous potential for musicians to use AI to collaborate and push creativity further as well. 
However, <laughs> it's important to be mindful of the impact of this new technology, especially on marginalized groups in both its development and usage. So in the meantime, I hope you come to see me at <laughs> my new show with my AI-generated noise project, Mom of Chaos. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and feel free to follow along on Instagram or Facebook in between episodes. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Have a happy end of the year. 